this isn't working out, but it's okay, it's not you, it's me. You can't even get into the Air Force. Your GPA is too low, we can't actually accept you into our college. Son, your dad and I are going to be getting a divorce. Honey, grandma passed away today. These are some of the most discouraging messages that I've heard in my lifetime. And I'm sure you have a list of discouraging messages that you have heard in your lifetime as well. Because life is going to have its discouragements. There's going to be discouraging messages everywhere, whether it's the... uh, the news flooding our media feeds every day with global discouragement, or whether it's the moment when we have things come into our life that cause personal discouragement. And discouragement drains us. It drains us of hope and joy. It drains us of peace and vitality. Eventually, discouragement likes to invite its buddies to the party, right? Frustration, depression, bitterness, doubt, anxiety, exhaustion. And when we get discouraged, we start to distance ourselves from God. We start to distance ourselves from the people who love us and the people we love. We start to turn inward and we start to be withdrawn. You know, God knows our weaknesses and he knows that we regularly need to be encouraged. And he's given us each other to encourage one another, but even more so, he gives us himself and his word and his spirit. And God has given us more than just occasional moments of encouragement or a little smattering of encouragement encouraging news every now and then. God has given us an eternal message of permanent encouragement. It's called the gospel, right? And when we come to understand, when we start to realize, when we come to our senses and realize that we are broken and we live in a fallen and sinful world with a fallen and sinful nature that corrupts our thoughts, corrupts our actions, corrupts our attitudes, and makes them offensive to God, when we start to realize because of our sinfulness that we will forever be kept from a relationship with God, we will be forever kept out of eternity in the presence of God, that's bad news. That's discouraging. But when we come also to understand and realize that God loves us, and wants to be in relationship with us, and wants us to be in eternity with him in heaven forever. And because of that, sent Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, and then rise from the grave to conquer death, conquer sin, and that for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, we are now reconciled back into relationship with God, we're made new, we're freed from sins that want to enslave us, we've been given an everlasting hope for eternity, we've been given an unrivaled sense of purpose on earth that comes with hope and joy and peace that can't be touched by anything else, and when we realize that we can have a do-over, when we realize that we we can have a reset because of Jesus. That is the best message, the most encouraging message ever. Amen? And that's the message of the gospel. And it's a message that's been freeing and transforming people for generations. It's a message that the men and women of the first century church shared to thousands upon thousands of people in many cities after the death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven of Jesus. That's why we know, because they did their jobs. One of the early church leaders, the Apostle Paul, found himself sharing this message of the gospel in a city of ancient Macedonia called Thessalonica. 
And if you read in the book of Acts, chapter 17, you will see how Paul and his companion Silas came to Thessalonica. And they preached the gospel of Jesus there for three weeks. And many men and women came to faith in Christ. But this riled up the Jewish religious leaders, and they formed a mob, and they went looking for Paul and Silas to to do damage to them. But the Thessalonians believers got to Paul and Silas first and snuck them out of the city before any harm could be done to them. And then we all of a sudden have this letter, 1 Thessalonians. It's one of two letters that Paul wrote to this young church plant. It was written right around AD 50, give or take a year, from Corinth during Paul's second missionary journey. And after being whisked away from Thessalonica, he longed to come back in person. He wanted to come back in person and check on these young believers. He longed to see them. He knew that they were in an environment that was hostile to their faith in Christ. He knew that uh, it was discouraging to him to think about them being persecuted and having no one to lead them and no one to disciple them. Did they abandon the faith or, or did they all get killed? Like, what's going on? And that was a discouragement to Paul. And then on the other side, you got the Thessalonians. They were probably discouraged because the men who came and brought this message to them uh, had to be you know, whisked off really fast, and they've never heard from them again. Are we forgotten? Have we been abandoned? And so there was discouragement for the Thessalonians. About a year later, the Apostle Paul was able to send his friend Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on these believers And the report that Timothy was able to bring back to Paul about the Thessalonians and their faithfulness was encouraging to Paul. And so we see some mutual encouragement here between Paul and the Thessalonians in this letter. And God preserved this account. It wasn't just an exchange for the two of them. God preserved it because he wanted to bring some encouragement to us with what Paul found true of the Thessalonians and with what... uh, Paul was able to speak and teach them as far as that as well. And so we can see this and be encouraged ourselves. So welcome to our uh, summer teaching series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to start in chapter 1 today. And as you do, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's perfect. Thank you that it's not just this dusty book with information in it and history, but that your word is living and it's active there's fresh lessons, fresh fillings of your instruction and spirit and teaching that come when we look at these men and women of the faith, our spiritual ancestors. And God, your message is going to be clear for us today. So Lord, teach us, instruct us. Holy Spirit, transform us because we spent time in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. First Thessalonians chapter one, let's look at the intro. The authors always introduce themselves here in the front part of these uh, Pauline letters. Paul, Silvanus, which is another name for uh, uh, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop. When Timothy spent time with the Thessalonians, he saw that they were living faithfully for Christ, even though they were in an environment of persecution. And he returned back to Paul in Corinth and gave a status report of how faithful the Thessalonians were being to Christ. So when Paul penned these letters back to the Thessalonians, he was giving them affirmation. He was encouraging them. And as we can see here, he let them know right off the bat, they're not forgotten. You have not been abandoned. In fact, we think of you. 
We constantly pray for you. And we are aware that your faith in Jesus drives you to work for Christ, to love others around you well, and to keep your eyes and your heart to the sky as you wait for the return of Christ. So part of Paul's encouragement was to affirm the Thessalonians indeed had received the gospel, that they were truly believers in Jesus, and that they were a community of saved souls. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Like, I know that you're saved. I know that you're good with Christ. Well, he saw evidence. He heard evidence of that. Well, what were some of the evidences that he heard about that gave him the confidence to make that statement? And I want to share three specific evidences related to the gospel that led Paul to this conclusion. And as I share these three evidences, I want you to consider your life and how true these evidences may or may not be true of you in your life. The first evidence that Paul referenced here is that the gospel comes to you. The gospel, this message will come to you. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because... Our gospel, what? Came to you. The gospel came to you. Not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul is delivering a little theology in his encouragement. He's saying God loves you. You are a beloved child of God. He chose you, right? He's saying your belief in Jesus testifies to God's predestined plan of election, and you didn't choose him, he chose you. That's why you believe. And so how does he know that they believe? He says here, because our gospel, not, not ours as in the, the, the message of the man, but our gospel of Christ, the supernatural message that we carry of forgiveness and sins in Jesus, it came to you, and it didn't just come with words that we spoke. No, it came with the supernatural impact that only comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is not man's persuasion. This is the Spirit's power. And he says it led to a deep conviction that led to a belief and a conversion. You received it and you believed it. Now, you obviously can't be a believer in Christ if the gospel message doesn't come to you. You're not born a Christian. Some of you have heard that, right? Like, oh, I was born a Christian. I got news for you. You were not actually born saved. You weren't born a Christian. If someone shared the gospel with you at one hour old, A, you probably wouldn't have heard it. B, you probably wouldn't have understood it if you heard it, right? So you're not born a Christian, nor does uh, salvation get baptized into you as a child. Salvation doesn't transfer over automatically because your mom and dad love Jesus, uh, you, you can't work salvation into your soul. You can't work off your sin. Nor do you pick up salvation by sitting in a chair in a church building. It's a message you have to hear. It's a message that you have to receive and believe. And he's saying, Thessalonians, the gospel came to you, and you received it, and you believed it. So I know you have saved souls. I know you're a community that authentically loves Jesus. Now, for all the believers in the room and for the believers watching online right now, this is very affirming to us because, praise God, the gospel came to us, right? And praise God, the gospel came to us, and we turned to and trusted in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his resurrection. That's what we're trusting in. That's what we're turning to for forgiveness and for our relationship with God to be mended and restored, 
We have the assurance of knowing our salvation is sure as followers of Christ. And you know, we might not always appreciate that assurance every day, but in the difficult moments, and when we lose loved ones, and when certain diagnoses come online, or all these different kinds of things, that's when we're like, oh, praise God the gospel came to me. Praise God the gospel came to us. Now, there are probably others here watching online that do not have that certainty. I think the question is, has the gospel come to you? And if up to today you're saying, I don't think the gospel's come to me, guess what? The gospel just came to you. You can't work your way to heaven. It's not about good works. It's not about church. It's not about following a set of rules. It's about, oh, Jesus did all the hard work and invites me into relationship? Okay, I guess I have to turn to Christ. Like, that's the essence of the gospel. And so uh, if you've never heard the message, my encouragement to you, our encouragement to you as a community, receive it and believe it. In Corinthians, we're told, now is the day of salvation. Today could be the day that as you're listening, God will move your heart to say, I I need Christ. If he does that, the good news is by the end of this time that we have together, you're going to have an opportunity to turn to Christ and start the new life that he has to offer you. Well, some of you might not be good with God because maybe you've received a false gospel. You think, yeah, I've heard the gospel. Well, wait a second. It it doesn't sound the same as what you're saying. It, it, It sounds different. Maybe you've received a false gospel. Maybe there's no sense of power. Maybe there's no experience of conviction with it. Maybe someone sold you a bill of spiritual goods. Sometimes it sounds like this. Oh, hell? Oh, there's no hell. God only loves. God has no sense of justice. God has no wrath. He's just love. That's all he is. And so everybody gets a free pass. That's a false gospel. It's not what God communicated to us. Or maybe it goes to the other extreme. Instead of that, it's like, oh, free? Oh, God's gift is free? No, 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 no. You've got to work for it. You've got to say certain prayers. You've got to do certain rituals. You have to you know, participate in certain ceremonies. You've got to you know, have certain holidays. So if you do all these things, maybe you'll get in. That's not the gospel either. That's not what God has taught us in his word. So you need to disregard that fake gospel that came to you and replace it with this authentic gospel, the one that you read in scripture. And this is the authentic gospel of Christ. And so you too can receive it and believe it and get rid of that fake gospel that someone sold you and read scripture and see it for yourself, that it's a gift of God, not by works. You look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And so that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Everyone say gift. I sure hope none of you have ever paid for a gift. I sure hope none of you tried to work off a gift. Gifts are just received freely. And so (laughs) grace we've been saved. It's a gift. It's not a result of works. Isn't it amazing how we can stare at it with our eyeballs? We can see not a result of works and then walk out of here and try to work our way to heaven. Isn't that crazy? We're so twisted, you know? It's like, ah, oh, I just I was a bad person this week. Maybe God kicked me out. It's like, no, it's 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 the result of grace. So that no one can boast. We have no boasting rights that we did anything. We brought nothing to the table. You know, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not a believer today, and you just keep rejecting the gospel. I think my encouragement to you is it's not too late to reconsider. Because when the message comes to you, when the gospel comes to you, you basically have one of two options: receive it or reject it. That's it. Because if you try to play the middle of the ground, like, well, I'm thinking about receiving it, that's fine. You know, you want to come with, with understanding. But while you're processing it, you are still in the current state of rejection. So you are currently in a state of still rejecting the gospel while you're thinking about it. And so until you cross that line of belief and totally receive, it's still a rejection of that. Maybe some of you want to talk more. Maybe you want to discuss Jesus. Great. Let's have a conversation. Email us at connect at cvconline.org. 
Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, rip off that uh, response card in your program and say, I- I've got spiritual questions. I'm not ready yet, but I want to talk about God. We'd love to talk. Turn that in, in the baskets at the end. Let's talk about Jesus because the gospel has come to you. Please don't reject it. Receive it. Believe it. So Paul saw this in the Thessalonians. So, man, the gospel came to you. And we look at our lives and go, praise God, the gospel came to us too. He also saw a second evidence. He said, the gospel works in you. Not only did the gospel come to you, but the gospel works in you. He already mentioned three observations of how the gospel was clearly working in the lives of the Thessalonians. Look at verse 3 again. He says, remembering before our God the Father and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Christ. The work of faith means that their faith was active and they were faithfully serving Christ and growing in their faith. It was a labor of love. They were, let, they were letting their love for Jesus fuel them to learn how to love others and serve others. They were steadfast in their hope in Christ, meaning that Christ promised to return. Before Christ ascended to heaven, he promised to return. Their eyes and their hearts are like one eye on the sky waiting for Jesus to come back and one eye on the world that still needs to know him. Uh, that, that's a description of the Christian life. If you want to know the Christian life, it's like right now for us believers in 2017, one eye is on heaven going, Jesus can come back any day. And the other eye is on the earth going, there's a lot of people that don't know him yet. We've got to make sure that we connect the dots. But that's the Christian life. It's not like, oh, I want Jesus to come in and just set up a little party for me, my heart, my life, and then I'm good. Like, that's not what we see in Scripture. God does an incredible work on our life, absolutely just wrecks us and then puts us back together again. Why? Why does he do that? Because we just build anticipation for him to come back so we can get to see our Savior forever and so that we start to have compassion for the lost in this world still and reach them. And so the gospel works in you. But this wasn't the only example. And we see here that there was more examples of the gospel working in them. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are going to stutter over that verse. You're going to just have like a speed bump moment. Like, wait, you received the word in affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit? How does that happen? We'll get there in a minute. And he says in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The Thessalonians were imitators of Jesus. They wanted to imitate their Savior, and they wanted to emulate the lives of the people that brought them the message of Christ. So they were trying to be Christ-like in their love. They were trying to be Christ-like in their purpose. They were trying to be Christ-like in their obedience, and they were trying to be Christ-like in their suffering. They not only received the word, but they received the word. They received the gospel in affliction. Like, we don't get it, do we? We can walk in here with our coffee cup in one hand and our Bibles in the other hand and sit down in our chairs and just like do our thing and leave. Like we have brothers and sisters in Christ that have to try to sneak to church so someone doesn't kill them. They got to try to reach into a little box somewhere and pull out maybe one wrinkled page of the Bible. That's all they got. Or maybe a handwritten, you know, copy from someone else. Just worship together. Like we, we don't have that affliction. Our affliction is so minor compared to our brothers and sisters around the world. Amen. Their persecution is heavy. We've got to remember them in prayer and be mindful of them. But they, they received the gospel with affliction. And despite that persecution, man, they, through the power of the Holy Spirit, were filled with joy. They had joy in the face of their pain. Clearly, Paul was not speaking to a dominantly American audience when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, was he? Because what we see going on here, typically, Western American Christian mindset is that you cannot have peace and joy simultaneously, or uh, joy and affliction simultaneously. Somewhere, somehow, we think that 
joy and pain can't coexist. But when we read our Bibles, we see that pain and uh, joy coexist frequently. And so we have to put ourselves back into the, the message that God's trying to give us. Most Americans have a poor theology of suffering. They don't get it. And so Paul was commending them for the joy they had in the face of affliction, which was evidence that the gospel message was at work in them. You know the gospel's at work in you, that when your world gets turned upside down, there's still a joy and a trust in God. I'm not talking about a happy clappy, oh, thank you for my pain, Jesus, you're awesome. And like, you know, this is, I don't know, we're talking about God, this is hard, it hurts, yet I will still trust you, I will still worship you, I will still praise you, I will still follow you, and all those things, but it's hard. But there's still joy, there's still trust. We don't move when things get hard. There's a steadfastness that we see in this Thessalonian church. We want that same steadfastness to be seen in our lives. You know, there are many aspects of the Christian faith that are mysterious. Like the Trinity is mysterious, right? One God, three persons, and just in heaven we'll finally go, oh, okay, I get it, you know. But here it's a bit mysterious. The, um, uh, the doctrine of election is mysterious. When Christ is coming back, how our bodies are going to be resurrected. Like, I, I, I think that way. This, welcome to my twisted world. I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. The people in the graves, bodies intact, you know, they're going to be resurrected. But what about those who've been cremated and their loved ones have scattered them? Like, how's God going to resurrect that body? And what about, you know, some Viking that came to Christ and like, they threw him overboard after he died with an arrow in his heart and the fish ate him and the fish went everywhere? And like, how is he going to be resurrected? And like, it's a mystery. We don't know. Well, we will. But one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith is how people, in the midst of discouraging and difficult situations, somehow still have joy. That's when the people in the world just look at you and go, you got hit in the head. Because you're going through it, but yet you're still praising God. You know, they, they want to do what Job's wife did. They'd be like, you should curse God and die, man. But you're still praising God. You're still trusting God. And we're like, yes, it hurts, but I trust God. Like, that's a mystery. You know what that is? It's the gospel at work in you. It's the gospel at work in you. Then Paul was affirming the work of the gospel in them and how they were a church, that because of that, they were encouraging other churches. Other churches in Greece were looking at the Thessalonians going, wow, what an awesome church by the grace of God. You know, on that note, I just want to say, as your pastor, thank you. Thank you, CVC, for being a church that has, is a great example to our communities. You're a great example to other believers. CVC is known as a church of people who love the Lord, that serve other people. And some of you have made a huge impact in the lives of others because they've seen you go through difficult times and still hold to your faith. Man, praise God for that. Now, I'm just so proud of you for the way you pray and the way you serve and the way you give and just the, the difference you make in your neighborhoods and your communities. Just thank you. Thank you for letting me have the joy of pastoring a church, this kind of community. It's the gospel at work in us, isn't it? It's not us. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. How do you see the gospel at work in you? More importantly, how do others see the gospel at work in you? Do others see the gospel at work in you? I mean, if you receive Christ, you're transformed. You have new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Don't you love that word new? It's a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, there's that word again, new has come. As Christ transforms you, there's going to be some areas that will instantly be transformed. And God's just going to take away certain appetites. He's going to give certain appetites. There's other times things go through a process. It takes time. It's the big word sanctification. It's like a spiritual metamorphosis as you grow and mature spiritually over time, becoming more like Christ. You know, Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he, meaning God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When does the good work get completed? Christ comes. So we're not complete. We're so not done. God's still working on us. God's still working on us. But the gospel is at work on us. When the gospel is working on you, there's going to be a decrease in your life. When the gospel is at work on you, there's a decrease. Do you sin less than you did before? Are there certain temptations that are weaker than they were before? Do some vices have less of a hold? Do you hang around negative people and negative influences less? Do you have less anger, less stress, less anxiety, less dishonesty, less complaining, less discontentment, less impurity? Do you focus on yourself less? If so, it's Jesus. It's his gospel at work in you. So not only when the gospel's at work in you will there be a decrease, but there will also be an increase. Do you find yourself loving God more? Wanting to be with God more. Be in the Bible more. Pray more. Do you find yourself wanting to serve others more? Do you find yourself being more patient, more uh, kind, more content, more peaceful? Do you find yourself having more compassion and being more generous and having more perseverance? Do you want to make more of a difference with your life? Do you have more concern for those who do not know Christ? If so, it's Jesus. It's his gospel at work in you. So one of the evidences that Paul saw in the Thessalonians that demonstrated this authentic love for Jesus, that salvation truly had come, was the gospel was at work in them. And if we have an authentic love for Jesus, and if salvation has truly come to us, then the gospel will be at work in us as well. So Paul's looking at these Thessalonians. He's hearing this report. He's going, I know you're legit because the gospel came to you. The gospel doesn't work in you. And then he points out to this third evidence. And the gospel speaks through you. The gospel speaks through you. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord, the gospel, look at, the, look at what it says up there in verse 8, was being sounded forth. It was, it was echoing like, like a rock on water, right? It was echoing throughout all of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, some of you are like, well, what is that? It, it's, the, it's the whole of Greece, when the Romans took over Greece, they split it into two provinces. The northern province was uh, Macedonia, and the lower province was Achaia. Look at this map. This is, shows you right where, where uh, Thessalonica was. And so Paul was writing from Corinth to them. There's Achaia. That's the lower part of the Roman-controlled Greece. And the Macedonia was the upper part, and Thessalonica was there. And on top of that, uh, Thessalonica was the capital city of the province of Macedonia. It was the largest city, well over 100,000. The Romans nicknamed it the mother of Macedonia. That's just kind of cool sounding, right? 
It was also located on a very special, important road called the Via Ignatia. If you look at this next map, the Via Ignatia runs from Rome. There's a boat route on the left, and then you see that red line that runs all the way through. This is a massive road that connects Rome to all the eastern provinces, and it was a trade route. A massive road, still rocks to this day there on the Via Ignatia. And so because this was a center of trade and commerce, in Thessalonica, there were a lot of people coming and going. There were a lot of people buying and selling, and there were a lot of people talking and listening. So guess what was being said and what was being heard when people came to Thessalonica, right? So obviously the Thessalonians were sharing their faith in Christ as they did their daily business. They probably were faithful to take the gospel on the road via, the, via Ignatia. Thank you, Romans, for building this awesome road. We're going to use it for the gospel. Now, the spiritual climate at Thessalonica was interesting. It was Greco-Roman, of course. So it was dominated by Greek and Roman gods. People were worshiping Zeus and Afro, you know, Aphrodite and Jupiter and Apollo. Also, it was the uh, imperial, imperial cult was very present, the worship of the emperor. But because it was also a trade route, there was a smattering of other religious influences, Egyptian and, of course, Judaism, a strong Jewish contingent. But as the Thessalonians came to faith in Christ, they turned from all their false religions. They turned away from false gods, it says here, and to the Lord. And because of that, they became very vocal about their faith. And the gospel was being spoken through them. And as they spoke the gospel, they anticipated and spoke to the return of Christ. You can just tell that they told their story. Yeah, we were lost in pagan worship. Man, these visitors arrived in our city and they gave us this great message, the most encouraging message ever. And we received it and believed it. The gospel came to us and, and all of a sudden we're new in Christ and we're being transformed and we turn away from these old gods and here's we follow Christ and the gospel's now being spoken through them. To such a point that Paul's going, as I travel around, people are already beating me to the punch. Oh yeah, have you heard what God's done in Thessalonica? Have you heard about the Thessalonian Christians? He says, I don't even have to say anything. You're like, your reputation is known because you're speaking the gospel. And so the Thessalonians made an impact for Christ. The gospel was spoken through them with their lips and their lives. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you making a difference for the gospel? Is the gospel being spoken through you? So many people say, man, I want to change the world. I want to make a difference. You want to change the world? You want to make a difference? Preach the gospel. Nothing else is going to do it. I mean, you can keep trusting in government if you want. Maybe it's our education system. Maybe it's economics. I mean, come on. The gospel is the only hope we have. It's the only thing that's firm and fixed. And so you've got to use both your lips by being verbal and your lives, the way you express the love of Christ tangibly to the people around you. Let the gospel speak through you. Now, one of the most effective ways to share the gospel is to tell your story. Like some of you are hung up. You're thinking you have to become some like, you know, degree theologian to share the gospel. No, you don't. All you need to do is be proficient at sharing what Jesus has done in your life. You just got to know the what, the when, the where, the how of your story. Hey, here's, here's who I was before I knew Jesus. Here's how I thought. Here's what I worshiped. Here's what I was about. Here's, my, here's a glimpse by the way, I'm being very specific here. Here's a glimpse of my old self. Now, here's how the gospel came to me. Here's who God used. Here's where I was. Here's what happened. And then give people a glimpse of your old self and then just brag on Jesus and what he's done in your new self. 
Just say, this is the transformation that God's brought in my life. Here's what I'm experiencing because Christ is in me. And you just, you just brag on who Jesus is and what he's done to you. Because so many people emphasize who they were before, then it's like, oh, quick five-second nod to Jesus on the back end. It's like, that's not, that's not a new life story. That's an old life story. Let me tell you my old life story. Here's all the things I did. Now, nah, here's a glimpse of the old life. Let me tell you all about the new life in Christ. And so become proficient in sharing your story. And so as Paul considered the Thessalonians, he said, man, this is beautiful and glorious because the gospel's truly come to these people. The gospel's come to them. It's at work in them, and it's being spoken through them. We need to have the same true of us. So here's my threefold challenge for you this morning. Whether you're watching online or you're here right now, here's your threefold challenge because of 1 Thessalonians 1. First, humbly believe when the gospel comes to you. If you don't know Christ today, it's time to set aside your pride, set aside your ego, lower your defenses, and ask yourself if you want what God has to offer you. A lot of your questions will be answered over time. Some of them may never get answered. But you've got to take that first step. Humbly believe when the gospel comes to you. You can believe and receive today. I'll help you in a minute to do that. Secondly, and this is for believers in Christ, patiently grow. Everyone say patiently. patiently. Some of you are going, <laughs> you don't know me, do you? <laughs> Patiently grow as the gospel works in you. Those who are in Christ, don't be discouraged by setbacks. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to fall down. We're going to mess up. It's going to happen. But we quickly get up and keep following Christ. Certain changes take time. Let God keep shaping you. Let God keep sanctifying you. Let God keep conforming you to his image because we're not complete until the day of Christ. So be patient, but keep moving forward. And thirdly, faithfully share the gospel through you. I don't want to lose any of you right now. Some of you are checking out. Don't check out. Stay with me. Those who are in Christ, you've got to use your lips and your lives to share Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, sharing your faith is not an option. It's not negotiable. If you're excited about Christ, you won't be able to help but share about Christ. Come on, look. Some of you, the word calves has been on your lips every day for weeks and months. I'm one of them. Okay, go Cavs, all the Cavs, all LeBron this, all Kyrie this, all this, all this, all Warriors this, Warriors that. You know, it's a, you've been talking about that, why? Because you're excited about it. Some of you got hobbies, some of you got jobs, some of you got things going on in your life, you know, engagements and babies. It just comes out of you. Jesus on lockdown. What is that? We're more excited about a ball going into a hoop than the one who came and just took our sins and made forgiveness available and gave us heaven. I mean, come on. And so it's not an option. I know it's scary. I know it's uncomfortable. You know why it's uncomfortable and scary? Because it's spiritual. Because it's to the soul. Anybody can talk about a sport. Anybody can talk about hitting balls, throwing balls, you know. Anybody can do that. Anybody can talk about a concert. Anybody can talk about, you got to talk about this deep stuff, the soul stuff. It's scary. But God's given you everything you need. He's equipped you for it. So you've got to share the gospel. Just a few thoughts about that. Ask permission. <laughs> Don't just drop it like, hey, I'm going to just come in here and just, no. Say, hey, can I share with you some of the most amazing things that have happened in my life? Can I share with you what I've learned about God? Can I share with you my story and how some major changes have happened? Can I share with you one of the most significant decisions I've ever made in my life? 9.9 .9 people out of 10 will say, yeah. You just got a green light to share your story. Put the spotlight on Jesus. 
Pray for those people. Ask permission. Use scripture. Use your whole story. Some of you are thinking, I don't know where to start. Just a reminder of a couple of the strong resources we provide for you. One, use the three circles for a conversation guide. Uh, there's little booklets out in the information center, but also online. We Just go watch the videos. Practice. That's a great tool. Just learning how to share the gospel. Also, some of you have never written down your story. You've never told your story. This week, you got to do it. Just do it. I am putting, I'm calling you out. This week, I'm challenging all of you to tell your faith story to at least one person who doesn't know Jesus. I, I don't even know how he did it. One guy, after last service, he geeked out on me with the calendar. He goes, I did the math on that. It'd only take about 0.02% of someone's week to share their faith. Once. I'm like, oh man, that's, that makes it look really pathetic. We don't do that. You've got a guide about just how to write your story. Just, just a guide about like what questions to ask. To guide your thoughts, write it down. You know what? Practice it with yourself. Pull aside a Christian brother or sister and say, hey, I just want to practice sharing my story. I'm not really comfortable with it yet. Can I practice on you? And maybe you can practice on me. And then be praying, God. And some of you know right now who God wants you to share. Some of you know exactly who it is, even as I'm talking. Like, all right, is that one person I've been hanging out with? Is that one person I've been talking to? I know. Like, God's, God's knocking on your door. Just obey. Experience the fruit and joy of that. So again, the gospel comes to us. The gospel works in us, and then the gospel speaks through us. That's why we're believers. So I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> Welcome to our summer study in 1 Thessalonians. <laughs> now, while we're going through this book, there's going to be some really cool topics that we're going to really be able to focus on in, in the summer. One's going to be about the return of Christ. Every chapter mentions the return of Christ. So we're going to be talking about the return of Jesus and how that is the greatest encouragement in our heart. Uh, how to live holy in light of that. How to do discipleship face-to-face, and, and it will really answer some great questions. So those are the things coming up. I do want to have you keep this in mind as we're thinking through Thessalonians. Part of the dynamic here is that it's a fruit of a new start. The church in Thessalonica was a church plant by the Apostle Paul. And so it was a new start in a new place, reaching new people. And that's just the statistics. When new churches start new places, they start to reach new people. And so we're celebrating our 30-year anniversary as a church. 30 years ago, we were a brand new start, just a few people. We were a church plant. And since then, in our 30 years, we've had a chance to help support or plant over 18 churches. 10 years ago, we launched Neo360, which is a church planting network that has planted over 40 churches. And so we're part of this type of dynamic. You're part of this kind of dynamic. So thank you for your giving and your supporting and sharing. We don't do a good job on a regular basis telling you about the fruit of our church plants. We're going to try to dial that up. And so this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about the Cove City Church. It's in Cleveland. It just started last April. Okay? A great young guy named Josh Miller is pastoring this church. He's the planter. I asked him just for a story about someone that's new to his church that's just being encouraged and is growing in their faith. He told me about a woman named Ruth. Ruth is a refugee from the Congo. She and her family lived in Sudan at a refugee camp. She came to faith in Christ as a teenager while in Nambia and instantly was persecuted for her faith. She moved seven or eight years ago to Cleveland. Life's not been easy. She's been in a very small house. Uh, the place she works won't let her have Sundays off. But despite all that, she says her faith is growing. And despite the hardships, she's still faithful to Christ. Here's what she said about the church she's going to. She goes, I love the community at Cove City. I think that just being at Cove City and being a part of the community constantly reminds me that I'm not fighting my battles alone. And there are others who fight in this with me. You know, she sounds just like the Thessalonians. Came to faith, received it in affliction, and has been growing. The gospel's been working in her. And Josh says, this woman, she shares her faith in Jesus all the time. And so the gospel's coming through her. 
You know what? We help support Cove City. You help support Cove City and many others. And so just remember, Thessalonia, uh, the Thessalonians were a church plant. And so we're excited about that. We're a church plant. We're excited about that. It's one of the ways we can help others get the gospel to others, work in others, and through others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great book. There's so much more you want to teach us, so much more you can show us. But Father, thank you for this simplicity of this message. Thank you. On behalf of my brothers and sisters of Christ, Lord, thank you that the gospel's come to us. Thank you that we know. Father, continue to work in us, draw us close to you. Lord, as, as you uh, sanctify us and refine us and shape us to be like you, Lord, help us to be patient, help us to be perseverant as we grow. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you allow them to be bold, courageous, conversational risk takers, relational risk takers, sharing the gospel. May the gospel this week <laughs> come through hundreds of people, hundreds of stories of new life in Christ this week going out in Northeast Ohio. Father, we pray for that. Pray right now for those people online or watching that don't know Christ. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to invite Christ into your life. It's not me, it's not the words. It's the intent of your heart. It's the belief of your heart that seals the deal. But just to guide you, you can follow this prayer. It's on the screen if you need it. Jesus, today, your gospel has come to me. I confess that I'm a sinner that cannot save my soul. Religion can't save me. Good works can't save me. Only your death on the cross and resurrection from the grave make forgiveness available. So today, I turn to you and believe in you. I receive your free gift of salvation and the new life you have to offer me right now. Work in me, Jesus. Make me more like you as I follow you the rest of the days of my life. Lord, pray for those people who did that, that you give them the courage to take the next steps. Lord, take this offering about to give. God, help it to take the gospel to people so they can work in them and then come back through them. We ask in Jesus' name, we all say together. Amen. If you gave your life to Christ today, one last request I make of you, before you leave, take your response card and just put on there, I receive Christ. Put that in the baskets they're about to come around or bring it to us in person in the foyer. We'd love to just celebrate with you and tell you about your next steps to grow. The rest of us, let's be faithful because the gospel's come to us. It's working in us. It also has to be spoken through us. Amen? Amen.